Today we are diving into our Easy Yoke series where we are learning from Jesus and we're inviting some voices that we don't normally hear from just to share what they are learning from Jesus as they take his yoke upon them. And today uh, I'm excited to be joined by Becky Cleveland. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Is that is, okay? Yes, okay, cool. that will suffice. Thank you. So let's you. get to know Becky a little bit. Uh, tell, tell us some of your, you're married. I am. I'm happily married. Some of your favorite things yes. about your husband. No, I'm just kidding. We are married <laughs> to each other, and uh, uh, Becky is going to preach today, and I'm so excited about that. Now, in your day job, you are a life coach. Uh, yes. What is that? Well, I'm glad you <laughs> asked. <laughs> uh, I, I am a life coach for a living, which is a unique job, and basically what it uh, is is I hold space for people's stories. So when people might be feeling a little bit stuck or like they want someone to process life with that's not a, a counselor, it's not counseling. It tends to move forward rather than backward. So it's very much um, what do you want to create? How do you get the life, more of a life that you want, that kind of thing? And how do you live a life that's congruent with your values, which is sometimes hard at different life transitions. So that's what I do. I love that about you. You're so good at that. Uh, you Thank also you. are really great at this is kind of a weird role. It's, uh, you're obviously more than this, but you're a pastor's wife, and you have been for over 20 years. Wow. I, yes, I, I, I kind of want to ask, how's that going? <laughs> or maybe just tell us about that. What's that like? Well, it's funny because with your new role at church, people have asked, what is it like being a pastor's wife? That's a weird gig. I have a, a number of weird gigs going on. Um, but I will say this, I felt a call to ministry uh, long before I met Jonathan, and that has helped us, I think, that I didn't feel like the calling of ministry together happened to me, um, like I met someone who had a call and then I was stuck to what you were doing. Um, I felt called to ministry, and actually I introduced Jonathan to, um, to a youth ministry that I was working at in Greeley, and... I just brought my boyfriend, and they loved him, and <laughs> we did ministry together there, and we have not stopped since, and that's been 26 years, not in full-time ministry, but 26 yeah. years of, uh, 27 years of serving together, so I've loved it because I did feel calling, uh, not just with you, but apart from you. Now, uh, everybody who knows you knows uh, a handful of things about you, that you're a great singer, that you are amazing <laughs> at doing headstands all everybody over the world. Uh, you do improv comedy. Like, there's a lot of interesting things that you do. Tell us something Thanks. maybe we don't know uh, that you're enjoying in life right now. Um, okay, so the new weird thing I'm doing is I'm playing women's doubles tennis. And I have not done that since middle school, played tennis, and I am loving it. And it's been just a fun outlet. So I'm a registered USTA player that's ranked. And thus far, I'm undefeated. But hey. I've only had two matches. Wow. <laughs> that's pretty good. Well, listen, we're glad that you're with us. And Thank we're so you. thankful for her voice uh, and just a chance to hear from her. What is Jesus teaching her? Oh, man. <laughs> good morning, Pulpit Rock family. It's good to see you all today. I, I'm having a flashback to the first Sunday we got here and standing on this stage and being prayed for as a family. And it was when we had a three and a half year old Carter, who's now 20, almost 21. And I was pregnant with Grant, who's here today, who's now 16. 
So for over 17 years, this very building has been a place that has been a place of safety for my family and care, a place where my kids can kind of work out their faith in a, a place that cares about them. I have a lot of pastor's fr wife friends who say how hard sometimes their congregation is on them as a family, and I, I never have been able to fully relate to that because I have felt like we've had to really be ourselves and that we've been accepted as ourselves here. So thank you for that. Thank you for being a, a safe haven for us for so many years to work out our faith. And I'm excited today to just engage with the question, what is God teaching me? And I hope that it connects to your heart and might even be something that God is, is leading you on. Um, so I'm just going to stay in my lane because being married to a preacher does not make you one eventually. If you're married to a preacher, it's not like you morph into a preacher because you are married to one. But I will communicate about what God has been doing in my life. So if you are like most Americans right now, and it's the 4th of July, so I'm very aware of being an American in this country, you might be feeling a little bit tired after the end of this, this pandemic. You might be feeling weary in your soul. Um, you might be feeling busy. I know a lot of us, all of a sudden, things are kicking up back again, things that you've been putting on hold for a while. And a lot of us feel overwhelmed. Does anyone relate to that feeling of, ooh, everything started again. I wanted it to start back, but it's, it's kind of overwhelming. And maybe you wonder, how did I do all of those things before this all started? Because it's, it's all back in business, right? Uh, so you are in good hands if you are feeling a little bit spent and overwhelmed. You might be feeling just exhaustion. Speaking of exhaustion, I want to show you a few pictures. This is my family <laughs> through the years. These are our three boys at varying stages of falling asleep in cars. I've been obsessed with children asleep in cars. <laughs> Um, and I'm sure right after that picture, we fixed Truman's seatbelt there, but complete with eye masks and pillows. You know, our kids have always felt very comfortable in the backseat of a car. We've never had to tell our kids to relax. We've never had to let them know that they could trust us or rely on us while we travel, you know, wherever we're going for a day trip or whatever. They're reliant. Maybe their only request is that we throw a goldfish cracker at them now and again. They do ask about food because they're all teenage boys now. So through the years, even as they get bigger, they tend to sleep, <laughs> including, including Jonathan. I figured I could at least get one good jab at him and put a picture of him sleeping. He is a mouth breather. You all should know this. <laughs> when I drive, Jonathan feels relaxed. This will come in, in handy later. He, he feels relaxed. We don't have to teach our kids how to relax. And these pictures kind of illustrate to me what Jesus is teaching me right now. And that is these two things, that I struggle to rest and I also struggle to receive help. Because in ministry and in life, in, in the thing that I do for a living, it's all about me helping other people. And so being help, helped, if I'm honest, I'm a little less comfortable with. I like to be the helper. Um, I also like to facilitate rest by being a safe driver, but I don't necessarily enjoy the lack of control of being the passenger in a car. My mom came up today from Greeley, and my sister's here from Fort Collins, and so you can attest to this. 
that my first phrase when I was a child, I could speak basic words, ball, mom, and dad. But the first phrase I ever said was self, self, I do it myself. <laughs> and so I was a very determined little girl who did not want to rely on my parents or anyone else. Even then, even from a very small age, I did not want to depend. And so Jonathan's convinced that that is why God did not let me grow past 5'1". Because he said if I was a tall woman, I would n literally never ask for help. And that might be true. It might be true. I'm the woman who hangs out uh, at the grocery store and acts like I'm, I'm looking, but really I do know exactly what I want. I just know I can't reach it. And I don't feel safe anymore to scale the, <laughs> the shelves for what I need. So the tall people have never let me down. So if you're a tall person and people wait for you in the aisle, thank you for helping. That's so kind. No one's ever said, no, I will not get your, your craisins off that top shelf. Thank you. Self, self, I do it myself. That is the old Becky. But God is transforming me even today into someone who can humble myself and ask for and gratefully receive help from God and from other people. And also to learn how to advocate and create environments for my body and soul to rest. And this can kind of complicate my relationship with rest because I've believed my whole life that if you are a helper or if you're an achiever, you don't rest. And maybe if I've earned it, I will rest. So that's my relationship with rest is if I feel like I've checked off my list, then maybe I deserve some downtime. The message speaks this beautifully, Matthew 11, 28, 30. I've been reading this every day for the last few weeks. And it says this as a paraphrase. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Or I love how the NIRV actually translates this. So that was a paraphrase. This is a translation. It says, come to me, all you who are tired and carrying heavy loads. I will give you rest. Become my servants and learn from me. I'm gentle and free of pride, and you will find rest for your souls. Serving me is easy, and my load is light. So whose loads are heavy? That would be us. His load is light. As I've been thinking about my relationship with rest, I wonder where I got some of my ideas about rest or lack of rest or independence instead of dependence. And maybe you can think of even back to your childhood and think, where did I get some of my messages about rest? Were you the kind of person who felt perfectly comfortable resting or did you feel or were you made to feel like you had to earn your rest? Do you nap? Do you judge people who nap? Do you recreate or do you judge those that recreate or even yourself? Or what is your relationship with work and rest? 
and it usually starts pretty early. I'm going to take a drink of my water because I lost my place. Okay, so the impetus then in that passage is on me and on you to find rest. Isn't that interesting? Because the rest is there. It's there as a gift given to you and given to me, but we have to find it because it might be elusive. It's interesting, I've traveled to a few different cultures. There's people in this room that I actually went to Ethiopia with. And in different cultures, they're not like us as Americans in terms of their relationship with time and production. And I remember it stressed me out the first time we were in Ethiopia and we're sitting, uh, a lady is preparing coffee for us and it took three hours? How long did it take? It took a long time. And I'm thinking, is the bus coming and when's dinner? And just things that I would think about in my own activity and idea of controlling my environment. But guess what? There was not one cell phone out. No one was looking at their email there was this presence, this being together, this resting together. And there was even a language barrier, so there were some awkward silences. But I love that. There was, that was such an example to me as a believer of how to be a human being rather than just a human doing. It's a slowing down of time, a gift for those that come to him. And why wouldn't I open that gift? I wonder if I really value just being in the presence of God instead of hustling for my worth. Do I feel that way with God, that if I check these boxes, then I deserve to come to him? So there's this beautiful thing about toil and rest. And I, if you look at your own life and think the things that you work hard at, whether it's a physical thing or a mental thing, or with relationships, there's this flow between toil and rest and rest and toil, and it goes back and forth. And sometimes what happens to us is we get in a loop where we have more of one than the other, and it starts to feel off kilter. And some, one person's rest is not another person's rest, and one person's toil might not be another person's toil. For example, um, we had lived here for about five years. We'd been back a while. And Pikes Peak, I kept looking at that mountain and thinking, it's just calling my name. I can't believe I've never been on top of that mountain. But I didn't want to ride the Cog Railway. I wanted to, to hike it. And I had done a few, I've done many 14ers in my life, but when I was much younger and probably a lot more, a lot fitter. But I decided with a group of friends, we're going to climb Pikes Peak. And I thought, you know, I'll, I'll be so patient because they're probably not be as good at me as, as hiking, and I'll, I'll, help, I'll be the helper. I'll help them get up the mountain because they'll probably struggle. It's hard. It's 13 miles straight up. But guess what happened? With my short legs, it took me so many more steps to get to the, the places of rest. And then when I got to those places of rest, because I just told you I'm full of pride, they had been resting for like 10 minutes. I'd come up and they'd look really fresh. They had they drank water, they had snacks, they were like, you know, taking off their shoes and putting them in streams. But by the time I caught up, they were ready to roll, so I would just go. So I went all the way Pikes, up Pikes Peak with zero rest. And guess what happened? I got mountain sick. The more you don't hydrate or eat on a, apparently, on a 14er, the worse it gets. And I just felt sick and horrible. And it was because of my own pride. I was not 
punctuating the toil with any kind of rest because I was self-self. I do it myself. I was stubborn. That could have been a much more healthy climb for me if I had just been willing to advocate for my own rest and receive it. Because I didn't think those other people didn't need rest and didn't deserve rest. I just thought that about me. I didn't deserve rest. Toil over time without rest always leads to burnout. And this is not just true physically. Toil over time without rest. So if, if it's in your mind, if it's a mental struggle, if you are working something in your brain to death, but you've never rested your mind, you will be burnt out eventually. Same is true emotionally. If you are carrying an emotional heavy load and you are not punctuating that work in your heart with rest, you will get burnt out. So maybe you experience, you're experiencing some of that burnout. So I wanna go back to the question that I started with and I want you to ask each other, how are you? And I want you to, if you will do this right now, literally during this sermon, this would be awesome. Look at someone you didn't come with and say, how are you? And wait for their answer. Try to say it in a way that really makes them know that you want to know how they are and hear their answer. And I want you to shout out some of those answers to me. So ask each other, how are you? Now's your time. And one answer will, one word answers will suffice. You don't have to tell them your life story. It's not that kind of time. All right, so if you've asked one person, how are you, come back to, come back to focus. What were some of the answers? I'm curious how you compared to the first service. How are the people that are sitting around you today? Wait, what? Overwhelmed. What else did you hear? Okay. Perfect. Even keeled. That's a new one. I feel even keeled. Okay. Say it again. Alive. Good. Good. So-so. Okay. So we have kind of the gamut in the room. That's probably true in any room you walk into is that people will run the gamut. But very often people do not answer you their real answer unless you're willing to bear witness to that real answer. So I usually start out by saying, good, that's my default. And then if someone waits a few seconds, I might say, well, I have this stressful thing going on. And then if they seem really compassionate, I might say the, the real hurt that I have. But it takes a few asks, right? I just saw that about 60% of Americans today would say that they feel tired right now at this time in history. And I think I'm one of them. I may not be physically tired, I, I'm a pretty good sleeper, but I think I'm tired from some mental load stuff and maybe you relate to that. So my new thing is when people ask me and they, they're, when I ask people how they are and they say I'm tired, I ask, what type of tired are you? Is your brain tired? Is your heart tired? 
And then they're like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm talking to this person. <laughs> That's what you get when you're friends with a life coach, I guess. But, but consider that today. What type of rest are you lacking right now? And what type of rest is God calling you to? What does he want you to come to him with? Can you connect your struggle with rest to an area of brokenness in your life? Sometimes the reason we can't find rest is because of sin. I, I just confess to you that it can be for me because of pride or self-reliance. Sometimes it's unfaithfulness or manipulation or being controlling. Sometimes those are the reasons we can't find rest. Self-reliance can lead to a lack of rest. Our last series on 1 John I loved, and there's a passage, 1 John 3, that talks about setting our hearts at rest in his presence. And that seems kind of like woo-woo language out there. What does that mean to set your heart at rest in the presence of God? And as I look at this room, I'm thinking probably the way that we, that we set our hearts at rest is going to be really different person to person. For some of us, it might mean some type of activity. It might mean writing. It might mean worshiping some way of setting our heart at rest. What is it for you? Is it making bread? Is it dancing? Is it creating something with your hands? How do you set your heart at rest in the presence of God? What helps your heart rest or cease the grinding of your mind? Knowing that about yourself will be huge in spiritual development, just acknowledging what it is. So remember these pictures that I showed you earlier? I don't know if you've forgotten them yet. But maybe you noticed that there was not one of me and that's because I tend to be a little bit of an anxious and I would say more likely vigilant passenger. And I will confess to you that I tend to give Jonathan a lot of feedback when he is the driver. <laughs> so if you see us around town and I'm driving, this might be why. It's because I'm a very good driver. And by good, I mean I follow every single law. Um, I'm a little bit of a legalistic driver, probably, in that way. If I set the cruise control for any higher than the speed limit, it's like by four miles an hour. Um, I don't yell at out-of-state drivers. I don't get up right behind people. I give a lot of space. I'm the person who lets everyone in when they're not merging properly, because we've all been there. I'm helpful. And often when I'm the passenger in Jonathan's car, I am pointing out to him lots of things that I'm noticing. And he does not find it helpful. The thing he especially resents and finds unhelpful is when I slap my hand on the glove box. Maybe that does alarm most people, but in my head, I am bracing for a crash. And so if I can touch that dash, I feel like I'm comforted. And that tends to scare the driver in our house. Um, and you might think, well, maybe this has happened twice in their marriage that Becky prepares for a crash. She has her hand on the dash. She's ready to meet the Lord. But no, it's like, I mean, on the drive to Denver, it might be two or three times <laughs> on a bad day. <laughs> um, so that's not, not a fun thing about our marriage. But what's true 
is I have never been unsafe as a passenger in Jonathan's car. We get places very differently, but I digress. Um, and the thing I'm learning spiritually is I, th I think that that carries over into my relationship with God. I think sometimes I forget his track record with me. I forget his faithfulness to me. And I start to ask God questions, like con trying to control what he's doing with me. Hey, wouldn't, wouldn't the highway be faster here? Why, why are we going powers? It makes more sense to do this. I'm talking to God like this. I'm asking God, maybe you could pull over and I'll drive for a while. I'm in an anxious crash position for a crash that never comes instead of this. And that looks a lot better to me in the light of day. I never judge my kids for the rest that they need. Even if they slept 10 hours the night before, I don't judge them and say, why are you sleeping again? Why are you so relaxed? I'm just so happy that they're able to be dependent and that they trust us as their parents. And if you're a parent or you've ever watched a toddler fight sleep, have you ever seen a baby so wound up, maybe they're all sugared up and then you try to get them to sleep and they just can't rest? It's heartbreaking because you, you just want to look at that baby and say, stop fighting the rest. It's just a gift to you. You're a kid. Just sleep. And God must look at us that very same way when we fight against his rest, when we hustle for our worth, when we check boxes to deserve rest spiritually, emotionally. And maybe this is what motivated Jesus to say what we looked at last week. Matthew eleven twenty five. you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you chose to reveal them instead to little children. These Jews that were so wise and self-sufficient, self-self, I do it myself, they did not feel a need for what Jesus offered. They didn't know they needed him. But the babes, the little children that were dependent, they received Jesus' teaching as a needy individual. And that makes me cringe. I don't like to be a needy individual. I like to be a helping individual. But there are times when I need to be the one that needs help. Self-reliant. I feel so comforted that I'm in good company with those Jews that they were, they, they were self-sufficient. They tried it on their own. But Jesus invites us to acutely feel our need for help that we cannot obtain ourselves. And then he, he invites us to come to him. We can then rest from unscriptural burdens that are too heavy to bear, taking his easy yoke. That's such an interesting thing. If you read this passage, it says, come to me when you're burdened and weary, I will give you rest for your souls. And immediately after, he says, take my yoke, which is like plow horse work. And I've always looked at that and said, wait, I thought he was saying, come to me and you will rest. But it's an interesting juxtaposition because he's saying, come to me and I will give you this certain type of rest where I am doing the heavy lifting with you. 
So rest doesn't mean being asleep or being lazy or not working at all. It means working really smartly with Jesus. It's a, it's a yoke of discipleship, of connectedness with Jesus. Jesus said, come to me. He did not say, go to Moses, to these Jewish people. And Charles Spurgeon said this really well. To Jesus himself, we must come by a personal trust. Not to doctrine, ordinance, nor ministry are we to come first, but to the personal Savior. And to anyone here who's a brother or sister in Christ, you know what that looks like. That sometimes we, we try to come to a structure instead of to that personal relationship with Jesus, but that's not what he's asking us to do. So our choice is come to self-reliance where there is no real rest or to come to our Savior and finally rest. Self or Savior. And we need to realize in this passage that Jesus is talking about two things here. He's talking about both both being weary and being burdened. And what's interesting is weariness is the stuff we do to ourselves. Whatever your, your particular hustle is, taking care of people, uh, knowing all the data, performing all the tasks, I don't know what it is for you, that causes weariness. Feeling burdened is feeling the weight of what someone else has put on you. Maybe it's what a system has put on you, Maybe it's what your family's put on you, but that's where burden comes in. So also consider that. Do you feel weary or do you feel burdened when you're tired? It might be different person to person. But he wants us to be free by coming to him with both. I want to mention one more verse to kind of close up our time from Jeremiah 6.16 in the NIV. This is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. There it is again. And there's a verse right at the end of it. This is real similar to what we heard Jesus say in Matthew, right? Except for this, he says, you said we will not walk in it. I just got chills that's our stubbornness, right? That's our pride when we say, we will not take the good way. We will not ask and ask for help. We're going to pick our own path. And we become that obstinate person consumed with our own hustle, and we don't come to him. So this is a challenge that we all have. It's me as a passenger in a car that the rest is offered there. It's right there. I could pick really good coffee and roll down the windows and look at the scenery and maybe have a great podcast on, or I can be slapping the dash, gripped in my seat, waiting for a crash. I really do have that choice, and that's what a lot of us have every day in our lives. This gift for rest is unmatched. It's a birthright for those who follow Jesus and come to him. And if today you're thinking, man, that kind of rest is elusive, you're not alone. But there must be a gap. That's the hard truth. It's true for me and it's true for you. There might be a gap between when you're coming to him or if you're coming to him 
if you're taking his yoke or some yoke that you're doing all by yourself, a different yoke system, or if you're learning from him, his gentleness, his humble spirit. So that's what I would encourage you to ask yourself. If, if rest is elusive, ask, am I coming to him? Am I taking his yoke? Am I doing it my own way? Am I learning from him? Because this yoke, this idea of the toil and the rest, and the rest and the toil, and how we know work when we rest, and how we know rest because we work, that rest is not, not necessarily sleep. It's not necessarily inactivity or laziness. Rest means depending on Jesus enough to not be overly wrapped up in either our self-sufficiency or the expectations of others. It means letting him drive and being at peace in our spirits. Does that sound pretty good to you? Sounds good to me too. So it's the end of our very first pandemic. And if you are in that spot right now where you feel anxious, tired, overwhelmed, you're, you are like most, most people today, but there is a gift being offered to you and to me today. And it's the gift of rest. And it's this offer of, if you come to me, I will give you rest. We're going to take a few minutes, and honestly, I hope that this scripture spoken over you is the most powerful thing today. But because I'm a coach, I really think it's not going to be the words that I say to you, but what God is speaking to your spirit right now. And I'd like to offer you a chance. Roland is going to lead us. He's going to sing a song about rest over us. And so you'll have a few minutes to do this. But what I'd like you to do is just consider what is tired in me. Name it. Talk to God about it. And ask him, how do you want me to come to you with this tired? And ask him for that rest. I know he wants to give it to each one of us. If you want, you could get up and interact with it. You could light a candle, just kind of document a moment. You could name it before the Lord. You could write it down and put it on that prayer wall. But take a few minutes and confess to God, what is it that is tired? And ask him, what is the way you want me to come to you this week with this, with this burden? He wants rest for our souls.
God, do your best. Could you take a song and make it thine? From the crooked heart twisted up like mine. Would you open up heaven's glory light? Shine on him and give these dead bones life. Shine on him and give these dead bones life. God, give us rest. We're all wanted from all of this. At the end of our hope with nothing left. Oh, great God, give us rest. Oh, God, do your best. Have you seen this place? It's all a mess. And I've done my part too well, I guess. No great God, do your best. Could you take a song and make it thine? From a crooked heart, twisted up like mine. Would you open up heaven's glory light and shine on him and give these dead bones light? Shine on you and give these dead bones light.